Well, good morning, Cedar Creek. Right. And when I say Cedar Creek, I'm talking to all of our Cedar Creek Church family across all of our campuses, as well as those of you who are connecting online. I'm so glad that you're here today. And uh, before we get started, I just want to take a moment and to say to you, our Cedar Creek Church family, how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. Because today, as we're kind of looking back and celebrating all that we've seen God do in and through our church family over these last six weeks, it has reminded me of not only how amazing our God is, but also how grateful I am for you. Your willingness to step out in faith, to be the church in the midst of all that we've been through uh, over this last year and, and a half, and at a time when so many churches are just struggling to try to hold on to what they have, your willingness to look outside the walls of our buildings, to meet the needs and serve and show the love of Jesus to people in our community, I know not only honors God, but I truly believe it has the potential to transform the lives of people around us. And, and I'm just so grateful for you. And, and I say that not in some sort of a boastful pride, our church is better than other churches. No, I say that to you because I know our tendency as human beings so often is to rush quickly to the next thing without taking the time to process and reflect on this past thing that we've seen God do. You know, all right, be the church wrapped up, check box, what's next? And, and I don't want us to do that. I want us to take some time and really just focus on and celebrate what God has done. You, you know, it's interesting if you read the Old Testament as God is leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land, several times when he would do something amazing and miraculous in them or for them, he would then call them to gather up stones and stack them up, making a, a small monument in the exact place where that miracle had happened. And the purpose of those monuments was not for them to set up camp there and reminisce about the good old days. The purpose of those monuments as they continued on in their journey, that as they ran into difficult, tough times or times when it seemed like God had forgotten them, they were able to look back and remember God's faithfulness in the past so that they could hold on to his promise of faithfulness in their present and in their future. And I don't want you to allow this be the church journey to just be something that we did that was kind of cool and we clapped for and we enjoyed. I want us to recognize this as a stone stacking moment for our church, for God's kingdom, for our community around us. Because see, here's the thing. It's not time to camp out yet. We, we've still got a journey ahead of us. We're, we're not home yet. And so being the church is not an event. It's a lifestyle. 
Being the church is not just something we do for six weeks every couple of years. It is how we are to function as a church. Living out this mission that Jesus has called us to is a daily journey in our individual lives and for us collectively as a church. And let's face it, sometimes living out the mission can be exhausting. I know it's a lot of fun sometimes and it feels very fulfilling and it's great, but let's be honest, there are times when doing good to others is just completely draining. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 6. He said, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. Why would Paul say don't get tired of doing what is good? Because doing what is good can be tiring. But then he goes on to say, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. And so that's what I want to do today, to wrap up this series by looking at some practical ways to keep on keeping on, to keep on being the church that God has called us to be and keep on doing the things that he has called us to do. And to help us with that, we're going to look at an amazing encounter between Jesus and the disciple Peter that takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. And in this encounter, Jesus will not only restore Peter from his failure, but he will also inspire Peter to keep on keeping on with the mission Jesus had called him to. This encounter is recorded in the 21st chapter of John's gospel. In fact, it is the whole 21st chapter that tells this story, the final chapter of John's gospel. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can hang out there. That's where we're going to be. If not, you've got a program you can follow along with. Now, before we jump into this story, a little background information may be helpful for context. If you remember, the night that Jesus was arrested, he had called his followers, his 12 disciples together in a borrowed upper room to celebrate the Passover meal together. This Seder meal, this intimate meal to remember what God had done for the nation of Israel, freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And you remember last week before the meal, Jesus washed their feet to serve them, to meet their need. But after the meal, Jesus tells them that not only will one of them betray him, but that all of them will abandon him. And Peter, Mr. Impulsive, says, Lord, not me. All these other punks may bail on you, but I am with you. I am ready to die for you, Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And sure enough, when the soldiers came into the garden and took Jesus into custody as they were taking him away, all of the disciples scattered and ran and hid. Peter, maybe trying to keep up with his boast, followed at a distance as they were taking Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the former high priest, in order to try Jesus. Peter and one other disciple followed at a safe distance. And apparently this other disciple must have had some connections because he was able to go into the inner courts 
of Caiaphas's house where the trial was going on. But Peter was left out in the outer courts in a garden with the servants. And it was there, while warming himself over a charcoal fire, that we, he will indeed deny three times that he even knows Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, he tells us that at that moment, the rooster crowed and Peter looked towards the house and Jesus turned and they looked at each other in the eye. Can you imagine what that did to Peter? How much of a failure he felt like? How broken, how lost he felt at that moment? Now, fast forward a few weeks after the resurrection. Peter and some of the other disciples leave Jerusalem and go home to Galilee, where they are from. And while they are there, Peter will decide that he wants to go fishing, back to his old life. And the other disciples say, sure, we'll go with you. And they go out and fish all night long, and they catch nothing. And as they're heading back into shore, as the sun begins to rise, they come home with their empty nets, and there on the beach is Jesus. And in this encounter between Jesus and Peter, as we walk through it, it gives us four practical ways to keep on keeping on. Four things we got to do if we want to keep on being the church and living the mission that Jesus has called us to. So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing we learn to keep on keeping on is we got to deal with our doubts and discouragements. We have to deal with our doubts and discouragements. Why? Because living on mission almost always leads to times of doubt and discouragement. In fact, if you don't experience times of doubt and discouragement, you're probably not doing it right. It's a part of the journey. And it certainly was for Peter. I'm sure he had a boatload of doubts and discouragements as he headed back to shore with his empty nets, not only from his own failures to stick with Jesus, but even his hope for his future moving forward. Because you remember just three short years ago, on this same beach, the same seashore, Jesus would call Peter and his brother and their business partners to leave behind their life of fishing, to come, follow him, and fish for men. And now here we find Peter, back home, back on that sea, maybe the same boats, maybe even the same nets, trying to put the pieces of his life back together. John tells us this in verse 3. He says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. See, Peter has to deal not only with his failures as a Christ follower, but now he's got to deal with his failures even as a fisherman. It's hard for us to imagine the level of doubt and discouragement that Peter had that morning heading back with his empty nets. But all of us are well acquainted with our own doubts, our own discouragements. So let me just ask you, what doubt or discouragement are you dealing with right now? 
in your life right now? What doubts are you struggling with? What are you discouraged by? Your own failures in the past? Disappointment and discouragement with others? What the people in your life have done or not done? Or or maybe it's just the uncertainty of life right now. But understand this, success in living out the mission that Jesus calls us to is not about the absence of doubt and discouragement. It's about a willingness to face it and deal with it. To bring it out to the surface and into the light so that we can deal with it and keep on keeping on. Can't keep hiding it. You can't keep painting on a smile and pretending it's not there. We have to deal with our doubts and discouragement. And when we bring it to the surface, that leads to the second thing we have to do to keep on keeping on, and that is to recognize where Jesus is. We have to recognize where Jesus is. See, that's the thing about doubts and discouragement. They cause us to feel like either Jesus has left us or he's at least a long way from us. But the truth is, Jesus is always right there, and especially when we're struggling. So as Peter and the disciples return to the shore with their empty nets, notice what happens. Verse 4, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He's right there, and they can't see him. I don't know whether it was because it was the light of the early morning. Maybe it was the fact that they were still 100 yards offshore. Or maybe it's just because Jesus was the last person they expected to find on the shore. But also, I know these guys had spent almost every day with Jesus for the last three years. Almost every day. You would think that even in silhouette form, even at that distance, they would have recognized them. But they don't until something amazing happens. This guy standing on the shore says, hey friends, did you catch any fish? Talk about rubbing some salt into the wound. And they're like, no, we haven't caught a thing. And this guy on the beach says, that's no problem. Just put your nets on the other side of the boat and you will catch fish. And I don't understand it, but for some reason, they did and they did. They caught so many fish, they could not even pull them in to the boat. And and I don't know if the phrase deja vu was around back then, but I can't think of any other way to describe what this had to be like for the disciples, right? Like, I think we've been here before. This seems like something we've been through, because remember, three years earlier when Jesus called them to leave their boats and fishing and come and follow him, same thing. No fish all night, throw it on the other side, catch so many fish they can't get them into their boat. And at some point, the light goes off, and John says to Peter, dude, that's Jesus. He's right there. He is with us. You know, I've been thinking about this all week, and it's caused me to wonder if maybe the best way to recognize Jesus in our present circumstances 
is to remember when he's been there in our past circumstances. So let me ask you this. When was a time in your life that you were closer to Jesus than you are right now? When was a time that you felt Jesus' presence and peace and power more than you're feeling it right now? Maybe it was a week ago. Maybe it was months ago. Maybe it was years ago. Whenever it was that you felt closer to Jesus, then let me ask you this. What were you doing differently then than you are right now? Were there things you were doing or not doing back then that you are either doing or not doing right now? Were you spending more consistent time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, on a daily basis? Maybe, were you more connected to other believers in authentic community? Were you more consistent in your physical presence for corporate worship? Were you more committed to serving him both inside and outside the church? I don't know what it is that keeps you close to Jesus, but I do know this. You got to stay close to Jesus if you're going to keep on keeping on living out the mission he's called you to. And then number three, the third thing we have to do to keep on keeping on is you got to let Jesus restore you. Let Jesus restore you. It's kind of humorous that when, when Peter realizes that guy on the shore is Jesus, he doesn't wait for the boats to finish that last hundred yards. He immediately dives into the water to get to Jesus as fast as he can. And when he arrives, do you know what he sees? Jesus cooking breakfast for them over a charcoal fire. I kind of wonder, did did Peter have his own little deja vu moment right there? Because probably the last time Peter stood over a charcoal fire, when he was warming his hands outside the high priest's house. That fire, that charcoal fire was probably a trigger and a reminder to Peter of his greatest moment of failure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Peter was thinking in that moment, but I know what Jesus does. Three times he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, yes, Lord, I love you. And each time Jesus renews his call for Peter to live out the mission. Feed my sheep. Ten my lambs. And, and I want to be careful here, but to me, as I read that, it's almost as if Jesus is restaging the moment of Peter's denial, the charcoal fire, the three times, in order for cha- a chance for Peter to be restored. Interesting side note. The three times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the Greek word agape for love. It's that God-like, perfect love, unconditional love. Peter answers with that brotherly, phileo, human kind of love. Peter, do you agape me? Jesus, I phileo you. 
And when I read that, what I I think Peter is doing is he's no longer bragging about what he can do, how committed he can be, how strong he can be to living out the mission. He is surrendering to just say, whatever I've got, it's yours, Jesus. This is probably the best I can realistically do, but I give it to you. And Jesus says, it's more than enough for you to live out the mission. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement after this back and forth of, do you love me? Jesus says, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old, you will stretch out your hands. Somebody else will dress you and somebody else will take you to a place you don't want to go. It's hard for us to understand what that means. And so John tells us in verse 19, he said, Jesus said this to Peter to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. So if you're not careful, you can read this as sort of a harsh prediction of punishment to Peter. Peter, one day you're going to die a horrible, painful death at the end to make up for your denial of me. But that's not what's happening here. This is not a prediction of punishment for Peter. This is a prophecy of a long life of purpose and meaning for Peter that will ultimately glorify God. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're still on my team. You're still on my team. Listen, I don't know the failures you've had in your journey with Jesus, but I do know this. You've not short-circuited God's plan and purpose and calling for you. You are only ever one step away of returning to a right relationship with Jesus and a life of purpose. You've got to let Jesus restore you. Then there's a fourth thing we have to do, and that's this. Do your job. Do your job. To keep on keeping on living out the mission, you got to do your job. That is a phrase I used often back in my coaching days. I would often tell my players, do your job. And the reason I had to say that over and over because people have a tendency to worry about and look around and see what everybody else is doing as an excuse for them not doing the things they've been told to do. And the success of any team requires all 11 players doing their job and not worrying about everybody else. And Jesus and Peter have a little moment like this on that shore. Because after the engagement and after the fish McMuffins, Jesus and Peter take a little walk on the beach. And, And John, the disciple who wrote this gospel, is following along behind them. And and Jesus has just told Peter, at some point, you're going to die a martyr's death that will bring glory to God. And Peter turns around, he sees John and says, what about him? What about his life? And notice Jesus' response, verse 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
And again, this is not some prophecy about John's life journey with Jesus. In fact, this statement starts a rumor in the early church that people thought John was going to live until Jesus came back. And John has to clarify that. John is saying, look, no, this is not about my journey with Jesus. This is a call to Peter to do your job. Church, comparison is the mother of our discontent. The more we worry about and compare ourselves to others, what they have, what they're doing, how good their life is going, and how bad our life is going, the more we compare ourselves to others, the more discouraged we will become and the more off track we will get. That's one of the pitfalls of social media. It's one of the reasons it can be so destructive in our lives because on social media, we compare the known reality of our life to the perceived reality, highlight reel of someone else's life. You ever done that? Been scrolling through Facebook and you see some friends, they're doing something great or they got something great or their kids did something great and you feel like, man, my life stinks. I mean, I know you guys don't do that because y'all are spiritual. Y'all are like that close to Jesus. But I do this all the time, almost every time. I'll see God doing something amazing and a church is sharing it and I'm like, well, what about our church? Or I'll see God blessing and moving in the life of another pastor. Or I see some of my peers who somehow at my age have already been able to retire. And they're taking all these pictures and going on all these great trips. And if I allow myself, I can start to feel sorry for myself. And I lose the passion for the mission. My prayer for me, and if you struggle with this too, my prayer for you is when you find yourself comparing and feeling that way, that we would hear the voice of Jesus in the back of our mind saying, what does that have to do with you? You must follow me. So let me ask you this. What's your job? What is the job that Jesus has called you to Where are you called to live on mission for him? Maybe he shaped you to serve in an area that's not real glamorous. Serving in a place where nobody really sees it or affirms it or knows it. Or maybe it's the neighborhood you're living in. It's not really where you want to be. It's not at the level of a neighborhood that you always thought you would live at, but that's where you are. Or maybe it's a job. It's not the job you had dreamed of when you were a kid, but that's your job. That's where you are right now. You are who you are, and you are where you are because God has called you to live on mission right there. Do your job. My hope, my prayer is that each of you individually and that all of us collectively can keep on keeping on being the church. That what we've learned and experienced over these last six weeks will become more and more a way of life for us. Would you pray with me? Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're not here today 
by accident. You weren't listening to this message by random chance. God brought you here to speak to, to encourage you. Maybe you've got a a lifetime of failures and you feel like there's no way God could have a plan and a purpose that you've blown it. God brought you here today to say, no, 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 it's never too late. Or maybe you're here today and, and you've drifted away because of whatever, habits that you've developed over the last year and a half in the pandemic or just your fears or your frustrations, but, but you're not doing the things you used to do when you were close to Jesus. And if that's you, I believe he brought you here today to say, come home. Come home to me. Come home, not to attending a church service, but come home to being part of a mission and a team and a family where you can belong. I I don't know what you needed to hear today to help you keep on keeping on, but I know that's what God desires, for you to keep on keeping on until the day he calls you home. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.